When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody. It is Jay Scott. Welcome to another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy, trying to think of more things to do on a daily basis to keep you busy. There's actually a lot of things to do. You can listen to music, read some books, watch some Netflix, catch up on some TV shows, talk to your family, talk to your friends over the phone, or do these internet meetings or these Google meetings that people are doing, which is a lot of fun. I've done a few of them myself. But nevertheless, it looks like we're getting closer and closer to being able to go out. I know here in Chicago, we're looking at uh, June 1st as being able to kind of have a little bit of the restrictions lifted. As far as what that means, we still don't know yet. But nonetheless, we'll be back to a new normal. Uh sooner rather than later, I believe. Our next guest is from the band Gorilla Riot. We have Deggy. What's going on, Deggy? How you doing? Good, man. How are you, Jay? Okay. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Big fan of the new album, Peach. Big fan of you guys. You guys got a very unique, cool rock sound, and I really enjoy it. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. It really means a lot. Well, we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is the essence of the podcast, which is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, a song, or album, what hooked you on rock and roll? Oh, that's a really cool question. Um, It's kind of it's kind of always been in my life since the early days to be fair like my my dad was in bands um, years ago in the 1970s and stuff um, he played with some cool artists including Free and Rory Gallagher like around Manchester back in the day and um, so it's kind of just been kind of like from that a little bit and then like when it, I want to say I was about 13 years old and uh, what was it Metallica's Black Album and Appetite for Destruction I found those albums and then the rest is history, near enough. Where did it go from there? What made you want to pick up the bass and, and, and play that instrument? I do you know what? It's it's really it's really cool this story. I I don't know why I wanted to play bass. Um I don't know. I just always I just thought it's cool. Duff McKagan is a big hero of mine and I just think he's the coolest bastard in the world. And it was one of those, I remember saying to my dad, I must have been 
about 14 or so, I was just like, yeah, can I, can I get a bass guitar, Dad? He was like, no, you need to learn how to play six-string guitar. I was like, yeah, but I want to learn how to play bass. So funnily enough, he made me learn six-string guitar for like three years, and I hated it. I absolutely hated every minute of it. Um, and in the end, he gave in and got me a bass, and yeah, it, it took a couple of months down the line, and he came up to me, he's like, yeah, I really should have listened to you like three years ago. Because um, at that point I was learning anesthesia pulling teeth, Metallica bass solo tune, and my dad was just like, "Yeah, you should. Uh, I should have listened to you a bit ago, and I should have done that." But you know, things happen; it all works out in the end. Do you think that that experience of playing guitar first made you a better bass player? Uh, it's definitely developed a strong sense of rhythm and and uh, timing and stuff like that, to be fair. I feel like, in a way, I totally agree with his point, but as a a moody 14-year-old, I'm just like, no, I want my own way straight away. And it was quite a um, bit of a daunting experience putting up with that for a while, but in the end, I got to what I wanted to do. Um, But in a way, it did work out, because like when I'm just at home messing around or something, I just pick up an acoustic or whatever, there's already a basis to go off and stuff. So I I do think it did have its benefits in the end. What about performing? You know, was there a moment that you saw or a moment that you experienced that made you want to get up on stage and be in a band and perform? (laughs) Do you know what? I don't really know. I I just think it all just happened naturally in a way. So I was just jamming along playing bass myself for, I want to say... I was a year in, or a year and a half or something, and it was basically every now and again I'd just rock rock up to a local jam night, open mic night, and just play some Hendrix numbers with a couple of guitar players I was friends with, and that was literally it for a good year or so. It'd be it was one every first Sunday of the month, and there was one every Tuesday night, which was the Tuesday night one was a strict blues jam, and um. I don't know, like we, we used to do that a little bit and I used to feel really intimidated like with the level of the musicians that were playing at those things. I was just like, yeah, but I'm, I'm no good. I shouldn't do it. And everyone was pretty supportive and everything. And then the ball started rolling from there and I just was in a couple of local bands with a few friends um, for a few years. And yeah, that was kind of it. Just playing rock and roll covers for a little while. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your father playing with huge, huge artists like Rory Gallagher and Free. I mean, some of two of my favorite artists, you know, when you think of Paul Rogers and Free and you think of Rory Gallagher, one of the most underrated guitar players of all time. I couldn't agree more with that. Like, he's just absolutely phenomenal. Like, I just remember hearing Bad Penny for the first time when I was younger and it just blew me away and then Shadow playing. You- I don't know, man. He's just got such a huge back catalogue of just fantastically written songs, and he's a phenomenal player. When you look back at your influences, and you mentioned Metallica and you know Guns and Roses, and you mentioned you know your dad playing with you know Rory and Free, where do your influences come from? I mean, like you know, obviously Duff, and but mm. other than that, you know, what what kind of music were you digesting and absorbing as you were young, getting into yeah, the band? Well, like me personally, like um, my biggest influence and my all-time favorite band is Motorhead. 
flight and that came across it was shortly after that I must have been about 14 years old and like obviously growing up as a teenager is a uh, pretty hard time for everyone and it just I don't know just the attitude and the rawness of Motorhead just made me not really give a fuck and just do what I wanted to do and I didn't care what people thought of me in a way I was on my one way path and I was going to do it but that took a while to like get into that mindset um, but yeah it's like my three all time favourite bands are Motorhead The Cult and Turbo Negro they're my three standout bands but like I don't know if I had to chuck a couple of more in there Metallica and Guns N' Roses for sure Alice in Chains and stuff but it's pretty much that realm near enough well, the influence of the of the band, you know, is very unique. Like I mentioned in the intro, is you know, you've got your blues, you got your grunge, you hear so many different elements in in the music that I don't know if there's a band out there right now that really accomplishes that type of a unique sound. Thank you very much. That's um, really nice. Um, yeah, like I do think we do have our own sound. To be fair, and that's just everyone's like influences put together like we all do have similar tastes in music but we also do have broader tastes in music as well like Arjun Liam and Charlie are into country music quite a lot and stuff me not so much I do like it but I, I wouldn't like delve into it that much myself but when you do put like elements of ev- everything together like you've got your blues you've got your delta blues your grunge your stoner rock your metal like everything like and then if you just chuck it in a pan and just mix it together and that's kind of what you get I think with Gorilla Riot it's a really unique blend and uh, I think we deliver it quite well on record and on stage you know the stoner rock label really intrigues me Uh, I've had bands that have been labeled that before on the show I've had Carl from Lachinga and I've had Labros G from 1000 Mods, who have both been labeled with that stoner rock uh, subgenre label. What do you feel about yeah. that? To me, you know, it's it's rock, hard rock, metal, thrash, punk. You know, those are those are where I, you know, yeah. pretty much categorize it. But what do you feel about that stoner rock label? Is that is it? I, a, a, I highly embrace it. I'm all for it. Like. And I can totally understand it. I just think there's just something about having a mammoth riff, but being able to slow it down enough where it's still got the power, it's still got the force, and there's no better feeling when you're playing that riff and you just look out at the audience and there's like four or five hundred people just slowly nodding the head like the trance by it. Um, and that's it, man. Like stoner rock, like it's just linked with desert rock and stuff, in it? Like early Queens of the Stone Age, Caius, uh, Fu Manchu, like all those guys. I absolutely love it all. As far as the history goes for Gorilla Riot, what is, you know, how did you guys form? Where did you guys come from? Okay, so from my experiences with it, it was early 2013 and uh, my childhood best friend Matt he lives in Copenhagen now and uh, I just want to say a shout out to him because it was his 30th birthday yesterday so happy birthday Matt he, um, he, he knew Arjun from university and he comes out to my house one day and he's just like yeah like I, I, do, do you fancy playing bass on something and I was like no mm. 
it's in Manchester, isn't it? And I'm like 20 miles outside of Manchester. It's not too far, but when when you can't drive and stuff, I was just a bit like skeptical. But it was like, do you fancy doing it? And in the end, I was like, not not really. I think I think you should do it, mate. It's your mate and whatever. So Matt ended up playing with it. They did a couple of shows. So it was Arjun on guitar and vocals, Matt on bass, and a container on drums. And um, then they did a couple of shows together under that lineup for a little while. And then I don't, I don't know what happened, but I knew Matt was moving over to Denmark and uh, he let me know about the situation and stuff. I heard the original Gorilla Riot album that came out, or EP, whatever you want to call it, and I was blown away by it. I instantly knew that that was my new favourite band. So with Matt leaving, I got in touch with Arjun. I, I met him in passing a couple of times and stuff. And that was essentially it. We we got together and we jammed. But before that, but uh, before that, um, it was Arjun was already jamming with Charlie at a couple of blues nights, and um, he knew Liam for a long time before that. So it all kind of came together along the lines of that you guys formed and and you guys started making music playing live you know what was you know how did you guys build the synergy that you guys have now the, you know the connection with each other did you guys all have similar I, influences or did you guys just all bring different styles into the band yeah man like we, we do all have the same influences and but um i just think that comes with playing together it's something you can't get overnight like this like what this we've been a five piece for I want to say 2014 or something. So that's like we're six years into it now. Like, and that just comes through playing like hundreds of shows together and just traveling all over together. Like you literally, when you're on the road, you're living with that person solid for like three weeks at a time and stuff. And that just naturally builds. It's just chemistry. Right. And we just seem to have a good one between us. What is the creative process for Gorilla Riot? Um, so, the main creative process is um, Arjun, Charlie, and Liam. They all live together, so like they they share a house together and whatnot. So them guys will come up with ideas for songs. Like majority of the times, we'll get a rough demo through and an email and stuff. And it's just like have a have a check this out, uh, jam along to it. If you have any ideas, chuck it in the thing near enough. But it usually ninety percent of the time does come from that and them guys just getting together coming up with the stuff and then passing it back to the rhythm section and when you guys go in to record an album you know do you guys already have stuff like hammered out with demos or is it just kind of still a work in progress as you guys go into the to the studio whenever we record anything it's already a hundred percent ready like we know what we're doing we're laser focused and it's getting done um it's it's very rare, like something will be added in. Um, but like, we we do know what we're doing. Like, if we go into the studio and we know we're recording four songs that day, we'll get them songs trapped, and that, that that's all we do. Like, there's no uh, time to really throw ideas in and stuff. Like, it's, oh, we all know what we're doing when we go in there. Now that you guys have this new album out, and we have the current situation with the COVID nineteen pandemic. The album was released earlier this year. Obviously, in March, things started to shut down, and now a lot of places are in complete lockdown. How did this affect... I mean, we know, we know the obvious 
ways it has affected bands and musicians, and I've talked about it a lot on the show, but how has it specifically affected the momentum that Gorilla Riot had, and do you guys have a plan once things start opening up? Well, it's, I, I, it's so bizarre. I'm still trying to come to terms with things in a way, but it how it all came about were in the UK, uh, we were due to start the album tour. So we did the launch show like six weeks beforehand. And then there was one festival slot we did with Planet Rock Radio. And then it was coming up to the tour and we were due to play in Edinburgh in Scotland on the Friday night. And it was the Tuesday evening the country got sent into lockdown. So literally, I think it was about 25, 30 shows or something. We had booked until June. So this was from March till June everything just essentially got scrapped and but the thing is there's nothing you can do about it so yeah you just you've got to plan forward and just see what the crack is like there's there's rumors of us going back over to spain and that's like getting very strong we've had a couple of dates but but it's like if we're gonna go to spain it could be worth like france and maybe germany and belgium into that something but it's it's one of them you've just got to play it by ear and see what happens week by week but I think a lot of people are already writing the year off as a whole. And I don't know, it just depends what you do with the time. Like, I know we're already thinking about album number two. But, yeah, it's very early days, considering Peach has just been out a couple of months. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's a bit of a reality check in a way. You've just got to take it as it comes and just, uh, yeah, go with it, I guess. How has it affected your creative process? I mean, are you still inspired? Is it hard being creative when you're basically doing the same thing every day? Or how does the other band members feel about it? I mean, are the guys that live together, are they able to still find yeah. that creative juice? Because I know a lot of artists have talked about it being difficult to be creative and write music when you're not being inspired because of the lack of things to do. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, I can't speak for the other guys, but like, I know I've just had an email with a couple of demos sent over a few days ago, so I know they're keeping busy doing that. But um, me myself, it's like I'm going to be honest. The first couple of weeks of lockdown, uh, it was just nice to not have any stress or worries, and I could just literally pick up a guitar and just I don't know. I was just learning songs I always wanted to learn. To be fair, like nothing fancy like a couple of Bowie tunes and whatever so it was just I was doing that for a little while but I found as the weeks have gone on a little bit I've just started painting again I've picked up an old love that I used to have about 10 years ago and I've just started doing a load of spray paint art and I'm enjoying it it gives me a different purpose every single day to um, get creative and paint somebody who's influenced me in one way or another here in the United States, you know, we are realizing that these small clubs, mid-level theaters are struggling to survive. I mean, obviously, this is a big hit on their business. Live music, you know, was their bread and butter, selling alcohol, selling food at these locations. And now there's a movement to try to get them some help in terms of yeah. you know government aid. Is the situation the same in the UK where a lot of these small clubs don't know what's going to happen and a lot of them may not survive? Yeah, like it, it does seem that way, to be fair. like There's a couple of venues that were scheduled to play on the Peach Tour, um, which have got to have an event on to open up. So they can't just really open up as a pub. Like They do need a, um, 
need to have an app for them to open the doors, to be fair. And um, there are a couple of venues. I know, I've noticed a hashtag going around, support the venues. And um, some venue owners are asking for contributions towards keeping the doors open. I think it'd be a very sad situation if uh, venues are forced to close from it and people are losing out on the livelihood because it is a big heart and soul of the country, I say. Like, it's, I don't know. It's a shame. Well, yeah, you know, it affects everybody. It obviously affects the band and it affects the owners of the club. But, you know, you have the employees that are there. You have the people that do the sound and the lights. You have the vendors. Of course you do. Yeah, the vendors that supply the alcohol and stuff. So it's a trickle-down effect that really is the reality oh, of... The knock-on effect huge. Yeah, and, and it's it's a really big reality of what's happening. I don't think everyone realizes the impact, and not just that too. When you have a venue that plays live music, you also have the restaurants around that venue that people go to dinner before or go to have drinks afterwards or whatever the case is, and those people are affected too. So it really does have a domino effect to the surrounding businesses as well. And, you know, it's a troubling concern here in the States. I mean, there's some classic venues like the Troubadour in L.A. that may not make it through this. And, yeah. you know, there's a no, move. It, you know, it's just, um, you know, there, there's a movement to try to help this stuff. And I was just wondering if there was the same thing there in uh, in the U.K. Yeah, like from what I have been seeing, there are things. But I think it's um, more of individual movements linked to each venue in a way um, I don't I think it's uh, I don't think it's like a nationwide thing I think it's more focused on an area or something from what I've seen it's just been like little glimpses of stuff on Facebook and Instagram like uh, just venues and the local um, people of the area um, pitching in to help that's what I've seen but it would be a very very dark day when uh, some venues are forced to close if that happens are you guys doing a lot of stuff on social media to help try to, you know, compensate for, you know, the loss of not touring? I know a lot of bands are doing shows on social media with their fans. Is yeah. That- I'm, I'm going to be honest about it, and I'm going to speak straight from the heart about it. I know a lot of people are doing that, but I... Yeah, a lot of people are doing that, but I don't particularly agree with it in a way. Um so say if I'm on YouTube and I, I don't know, I want to search a band or whatever, and if a fo- if footage comes on and it's filmed on my phone, I'm going to turn it off instantly. Like, no doubt about it, I'm going to turn it off. Um, and there's a lot of stuff where people are just filming off the phone and stuff. And I, I don't know, like, I, I, like, I like the fact people want to interact with our audience, but for me, it's just, it's not for us, to be fair, with pop an odd tune up every now and again just for people to have but as far as it goes there's like live videos like you're talking like an hour long Q&A type thing and stuff I just I think it's best to stay away from that and I know I'm probably going to get a couple of people saying comments about stuff like that but I think a less is more thing can definitely go in your favour if everyone's doing live stream videos why are you doing it just stand out a little bit and then when everything does get back to normal a bit um, I, I think the demand for you could be a bit better. I think. Well, that's it's a good point. You know, as much as bands want to entertain their fans and 
try to offset some of the time that they're just sitting there doing nothing. You know, they, they've, they've done that. But I do think unless you have a really good way to produce the sound of the show, you know, um, and of course, too, you know, I mean, people are listening through their computers. They may not always have the best speakers or, you know, the, the best type of equipment to hear stuff. And I think it may lose something in the transition when people do that. Yeah. And it's like, it's like as well, like, as far as it comes to social media and the lockdown and stuff, I've only really been using it much now for just sharing pictures of artwork that I've been doing or whatever, or if something does get put on the band page or something, I'll share it to my personal profile. But when you're scrolling along as you're doing stuff, like, it's getting to a point now, like, where I'll see something, I'm like, oh, that person's doing another live stream. Like, and it just, I don't know, it's just, it, it got old with me very quick, that, and it's, at, some, at first, I did think it could be an idea, but then I thought, no, why? If everyone's doing that, why do I want to do that? Like, I think it would just work for us better if we just pop an odd video up now and again just to show the audience that we're there and to just interact with them a little bit over the comment section. But as far as live stream videos and stuff go, no, we're not, we're not really about that, to be fair. Before this happened... I felt that there was a resurgence in rock music building over the last couple of years. Mm. You know, you talk about all the bands that started to come through and play music, whether it's in the UK, Europe, the States, Canada, a lot of great music that was coming down and people were really connecting with. And I really think the younger generation was starting to be exposed to more new rock. You know, I've talked to my 15-year-old son and, you know, the new rock has resonated with him because it's not his father's music. It's his own music. It's his own generation's mm. music. And I think more and more kids his age are connecting with it. And it obviously is disappointing that we have the situation. But what do you feel was going on in the U.K.? I mean, you know, you talk about Gorilla Riot and then all these other bands that are out there, you know, playing great music where you're at and other places, what did you feel about, you know, the current state of rock music prior to the pandemic? Yeah, man, it was, it was definitely a good thing. Things were definitely getting noticed. Well, no, let's just scrap that again. Yeah. Things were definitely on the up. Uh, there is a lot of good stuff coming around at the minute, but that's it. Like it, yeah, there's a lot of good bands. Like everything was moving forward in a great direction. And I do feel that will continue once the pandemic dies down and things. Um, and it's just great that there's such a good community of people uh, around the world that are into rock and roll music and will turn up to the shows. And that's what we do it for. It's just to give everyone a good time and everyone has a good time. Yeah, man. Do you feel that the crowds have been growing for rock music where you're at? You know, you guys play out a lot in the UK and, you know, I imagine when you first started, the crowds were smaller. But how do you, you know, how do you describe what was happening with Gorilla Riot and other bands too? Did you start to see more people connect, more people come to shows? Oh yeah, man, definitely. There are certain bands on the, the uh, scene in the UK that have just snowballed over the last few years. Like you've just got to look at Massive Wagons and those damn crows, for example. Them guys are just like they're just getting everywhere at the minute, and it's just 
working for them. But that's it. If you put the hard work in, it's, it's going to pay off. If you believe you can do something, you'll do it. And as long as you stick with it, it will happen. Like, but that's it. I just think it's all down to work ethic and how much you want to put in. Well, that's the case too, right? I mean, there's a lot of bands out there that are putting the effort in and getting their results. You know, I mean, Rome's not built in a day. You're not automatically going to get 10,000 people at your show and sell a million records and, 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 you know, all that, you know, is a thing of the past right now. But you can still have a successful career in rock music playing to good-sized crowds, playing to decent crowds and, and selling your music and creating good music. I always feel that as long as you have good music, people will find you eventually. Well, and and sure, I, I think that's the secret Definitely. of the success. If, if, if the music's not that good, then yeah, people are not going to listen. But, of course, everyone's taste is different. Everyone's taste is individual. But I do think with, like, Gorilla Riot, I mean, the, the music is so unique, but it resonates, and it's rock and roll, and it's blues, and it's got all the grunge aspects to it as well. I think that in itself will help you connect with an audience, and having your first record, Peach, come out here this past year, I think you know, after this pandemic that's just kind of slowed down everything, I do think that there is a a strong, strong success in your future. Well, that, that would be amazing. That's it. But at the end of the day, like, we're in it for the long run and we do it because we like to play rock and roll and have a good time. Like, it could be five people in the crowd, it could be 500, it could be 5,000. It doesn't matter as long as everybody has a good time. I feel that's the most important thing. And um, I think I think when it comes to, like, growing a fan base as well, you shouldn't be afraid to turn down a gig as well. Just pick the right shows, make sure they're right for you. I think that's another very important thing. Like, you don't want to accept everything that's thrown your way. It's good to get around places, but just make sure the show's right for you. When we look back at Peach in the in the album that was released here earlier this year, what do you feel like really connected with you? What do you feel is the strongest you know points of the album, and and in terms of the creative process to actually having the song on the record? Yeah, man. Like I, I just think like it's it was such a bizarre situation to actually release an album and hold it in your hands for the first time on vinyl. That was really weird like we've had cds out in the past and stuff and then when we got the vinyl delivered to actually hold it in my hand it was just like oh, oh my god I can't, I can't actually believe this this is nuts um and I, I i don't know i just thought that was really cool and like the album itself it's something that we're all extremely proud of and i think we've got a lot of hard work into it to achieve what what's on there and i just say to anyone like i'm not I'm not going to pick anything out because I, I feel like with an album you need to put it on, listen to it, and just see what. Just go on your own journey with it. That's it. An, al- an album is a journey, and everyone needs to be taken on it, no matter what it is. It could be a Gorilla Riot record, a Guns N' Roses record, but put it on from start to finish, and then go with it that way. I agree 100%. You know, when you put a record in, you know, it's meant to be explored. It's meant to be listened to. You know, I remember back in the day buying an album and just sitting with it for days, weeks, you know, just listening to it over and over again. I think the way we absorb music today is so different than it was yeah. in the past that, 
you know, it's... I don't like it's like as well. Like I know we've gone to the digital era and stuff, and I'm I'm such a hoarder when it comes to CDs. I had to stop buying vinyls; I ran, ran out of space to store it. But uh, CDs, I'm very much into, and I don't like the fact that you can delete music like digitally. You've paid for something, and you need to have that product in your hand. And the fact you can delete it at the touch of a button, I think it's quite sickening in a way. Um, I just I urge everyone to buy hard copies. Like as well, the artist is gonna benefit more than that as well compared yeah, to a download. I I agree. I still buy CDs. You know, I still buy classic vinyl stuff. But for me, the physical connection is so important to absorbing music and going on that journey that you speak of. That when you're just clicking and downloading and listening to it on your phone, it you it does people don't have the same appreciation for it because it's just coming out of nowhere i mean it's just basically simple and then you download you know four dozen songs and you skip through half of them and yeah i mean there never was you know when i listened to music when i was a kid you know we didn't get up after you know a song was played and fast forward to the next one and then lay down and fast forward to the next one we just let it play we just listened to it and what was really remarkable about this record is there is no filler. There is no songs that are just put on there to make a full-length album. Every song, whether it's Still Doing Time, Help the Guilty, Black Heart Woman, which I absolutely love, and Beat Your, Beat Your Bite. I mean, it's just amazing you know, how this record really is such a strong effort for a debut record. I mean, like I said, for anyone listening... There is no filler on this. You know how we buy records now and there's a couple songs that are like that. They probably just put it on there just to make it a full-length album. This is a solid album from the first track to the last one. I don't don't think you should put songs on an album for that sake. Like, What's the point in putting a song on it if you feel half-assed about it? It has to be something you're proud of to put on there. I feel like by adding tracks to an album just to bump up the numbers, there's no point. It is going to spoil it. I'd rather listen to it strong EP of six brilliant songs rather than being stretched out to an album of six great songs but with four filler that I'm going to skip yeah that's I mean a lot of it also has to do with the time that you know people allow themselves to create music the days are gone of taking two three years in between an album you know where bands would go on these big Mm -hmm. tours and then they would rest and write music and they would create, and that would help the product with the album, you know, with with the songs on the album. Well, now, because people's attention spans are so short, and you have to keep putting out music to keep their attention, which is unfortunate, but that's just the reality of what it is. When you guys... Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, when you guys look to the future, you know, after this album, you mentioned, you know, maybe putting together some more music... Do you guys feel that you'll go the EP route rather than the full length album? What do you What are your thoughts on that? No, we're we're definitely going to go album next, hundred um, percent. I feel I feel I feel though, like I can totally agree with you on that. There is so many bands releasing EPs nowadays, and I don't. I think if you're starting up, it's the perfect thing to do. We released three EPs before we released an album, and it's all down to that, really. If you can smash out an EP, I don't know, every year or something uh, and get four or five solid songs on there. 
uh, it gives you reason to make a fuss more often and be able to hit the road. Um, but yeah, like I've, if you're starting out, EPs is the way forward, I think. And to the consumer as well, it's just more for them to look forward to because it's going to come around quicker, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that truly is it, right? I mean, because people, you know, what's what's liked on Friday, you know, with a new album release, by the following Friday, because people's attention spans are so short, it's almost forgotten, and that's the unfortunate thing. People don't sit with music and enjoy it and go on that journey that you spoke of like like they did, you know, in, in, in years past, and I think that's one of the things. Rock music has always relied on the experience, They've always relied on yeah. the physical connection more so than any other genre of music. And I think other genres have been yeah. able to adapt as technology has, you know, moved forward and created easy access to to their music, where I think is rock is still trying to figure that out. It's still trying to figure out the the right course to take moving forward. And, you know, with the full album and the experience and the physical copy. I've tried to figure out what would it take to have that come back. And I don't know, I don't know if it is. And that's unfortunate because like I said, I listen to CDs. I listen to albums. I love the physical, physical copy of it. I do stream music, but everything I stream, I've bought, you know, I never just stream yeah, and I just, exactly you, know, you know, I mean like I, I, I if I like something, I'm going to go buy it because I want that physical copy. I want that in my collection of music. Mm-hmm. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's, but going back to the point, like about music being forgotten, like it is a very scary thought in a way. But to put it down to it, as an artist, it's your responsibility to make sure your music isn't forgotten. So it's your challenge. You've got, I don't know, forty-five minutes there to make a statement and get that statement across. And if you do it from the heart and get your point across, then all should be fine but it is your responsibility to make sure it's not forgotten and that can be working with the right people as well. Like, if you get a good team of people around you, like our manager, Peter, he's been an absolute godsend to us over the last three years. We wouldn't have managed to achieve the things that we have without him and that's guaranteed. Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with that. you really got to have a good support team around you. You've really got to be savvy on social media. You have to really try to connect with your fans. I mean, that's the difference. One of the things that I think is so positive about the now generation is that you are able to connect with musicians that you love. I mean, back when I was growing up, I hate, hate to keep saying that, but there was like a wall between you know the musician and the fan. You know, you didn't have the access that you have now, and I think that's awesome. I think that's wonderful. If, if I was a kid growing up in these days and I was a rock, little rock and roller. I would love the fact that I could get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of the social media platforms and send a message, send a message to a band and get a response back from. Them. I would be like in heaven every day if that happened. Yeah, that that is pretty cool. But also on the other side of it, I miss the factor of the wall being there. Like there is, there's no mystique anymore, and in a way that kind of pisses me off. In a way, like. Years ago, there was an era of mystique to your rock stars, and it just looks now as time's going on, everyone's becoming squeaky clean and everyone's too nice in a way. And I kind of miss like the old school rock star thing where like there is mystery behind that person, and like 
they weren't afraid to piss people off. Because in my eyes, I'm going to hold my hands up and be totally honest about this, Noel and Liam Gallagher were the last true rock stars that this world has ever had. You know, I've brought this up so many times in conversations on my podcast, and it's the lack of the rock star, which I think is mm-hmm. a huge... I think people... It's like for me, the thing that really upsets me, and like, I don't know if I'd use the word upset, I'm going to use the word frustrate. It frustrates me is, it's, you need to be nice to your audience. But, I find in a way, people are too nice. Like, they give too much out there. And I think, it's all fine from a consumer's point of view. They're loving all that. But in a way, you're opening yourself up. Everyone's going to know about you. You don't, you don't want your fans to know everything about you, your family, your kids and stuff like that. It's like, no, it's like you need the area of mystique in a way. And I, I don't know. I think everybody's just got a bit soft and too nice. Everyone's a friend, afraid of offending someone. I think that's really crappy nowadays. Like, Everyone just needs to, uh, I don't know, I think everyone should go back to how it was, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. The larger-than-life character, you know, that, that used to grace our stages and that used to, you know, grace our screens with MTV, you know, they you couldn't take your eyes off of them. You couldn't, you wanted to hear what they no. had to say in every interview, and they were controversial. They said things that were, you know, really edgy, and I think you're right. Yeah. I, I think there's people That's that... It. Yeah, the, the people want to play it right down the middle of the road because they're afraid of pissing people off. You, sh- as a rock star, as a rock and roller, you should want to piss people <laughs> off. You know, absolutely. Yeah, you should be pissing people off in a way. Like it's just, I don't know. Like it, I was born in '93, so it was probably a bit before my time. You want to be able to open that newspaper. It's like, oh, such and so done this this week. It's like great. Like I don't know. Like I just think there is that area of it now that everything's just crossed. And don't get me wrong, like it's every band has got their select few fans that are the diehards, and you need to look after those people. They're the guys that are going to follow you to bloody hell and back. I don't know, but um, you need to look after them. But also look after everyone. But you just need to draw back a little bit because, in a way, I just feel everything's just a bit timid to how it was. I've always said that if you have if you have protesters at your show, you're doing something right, and I, mm. I I firmly believe that you know I mean like if you have people I mean I remember back in the day of people burning albums and people saying that this was satanic and this was I mean it was crazy you know and it was but but what it did what it did was it made me who was young at the time want to listen to whatever they said was not good for me I was like I want to listen to that you're telling me not to listen. And I think when you look at like hip hop music, where they embrace the controversy, they they almost look for it, and they keep going. They don't care what their critics said. I think rock and roll. When you look back at Woodstock, when you look back of the bands in the seventies, when you look back, you know, with the Robert Plants and the Freddie Mercury's, and in the eighties with David Lee Roth and Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Metallica, they've always given the middle finger to the establishment. And you don't mm-hmm. have you don't have to be a heroin addict. You don't have to be a drug addict to be a rock star. But you can be controversial. You can be, yeah, you, you know, don't be afraid to say what's ever on your mind. I think that's what's missing. I think, I think that'll what that'll connect with the younger generation. Totally, like that's it. Like I think there's too many people around now that are scared to piss someone off 
in fear that it's going to stop them getting an opportunity. But if your music's good and you mean it, you're going to get that opportunity. You might have to wait another six months, but you will get it. I think that any controversy is good controversy, you know, especially in rock and roll, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, people may not like it, but, you know, I remember Axl Rose being who he is. He still is who he is. And people still wait to see what he has to say and, and people still connect with him. And you may not always agree with what he says, but, you know, he does it. He does it. And he's not, a, he, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. walk away from anything, which is remarkable. Mm, no, totally. That's it. Like hit everything head on. Like just fucking go for it, man. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's it. Like just, if people are talking about it in a good way or a bad way, you're doing something right because people are talking. Um, and uh, that's, that's the only thing I can really go have on that. A res- any response is a good response. Absolutely. And the more people and the more people that complain about the individual rock star or the band, the more people will be curious to listen to it. You know, that's what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when all these people create these boycotts because of what somebody said or what somebody did, guess what it does? It, the younger generation's like, huh, I wonder why people are in a big stink about this. I want to go check this out. And that's where it starts. That's how it begins. Totally. Well, d- yeah. I, I don't know what you mean. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like going back to the days, like when I found Motorhead. Like, it was just, there was just something about these guys with the attitude. And you just looked at them. It's like, these guys were the, they were the shit, man. They were the real deal. Like, they played loud, fast rock and roll, did not give a fuck. And they brought it. And I think that is missing big time nowadays. Well, Deggy, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you doing the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you, Jay. No, cheers for having me. And uh, cheers for everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't heard our new album, Peach, uh, please give it a listen. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I think my listeners will. And like he, like Deggy just said, go out and get the new album, Peach. It's a great rock record. It's got blues elements. It's got grunge elements. It's a really unique sound that not a lot of bands have these days. I really enjoyed it. I think you will too. It's one of the better releases, one of the great releases for 2020 so far. Thank you for the kind words, man, and cheers for having me on the show. Awesome. Thanks again, Deggy. Once again, I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you all are staying safe, staying healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 